0: Here we are. Truth matters. And so we have been pulling up cultural issues, taking a look at them in light of God's word, so that we are not going to be confused because the power of our culture and the power of the words that are coming at us is is strong and it can be overwhelming. So how do we know so that we don't get duped by a lie and end up living a lie? We match it up against God's truth. We started last week and we talked about woke, the word woke and wokeism and the the anti-biblical belief system that that carries with it. Okay, We talked about that. And of course, uh, uh, the uh, critical race theory and CRT and all that that means and uh, where that takes us and where that comes from and where that is going. And so we're going to review that real quick and then we're going to dive into some things that I think are going to be really important and really help for us moving forward in the conversations that you have in your workplace and in schools and things like that. We need to know what the Bible says about some of these things. Just as a uh, quick review, as we found out last week that woke uh, tells us that uh, the biggest issue that we have in our country is that we as white people are racist, okay? We are inherently racist. That is our biggest sin. That is what woke teaches. Again, critical race theory, which is the belief system of woke, so to speak, uh, and wokeness, teaches that that is our biggest issue. Our biggest issue is not the color of our skin, according to God's word. It's the condition of our heart. Okay, Mark 7 21, have it written up there for you. It says, For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. So, our biggest issue, the woke uh, and critical race theory tells us that it is our whiteness as they have redefined white to mean white supremacy. We talked about that last week. And so, our issue, our sin, is that we are, as white people, we are the oppressors. Remember, critical race theory teaches that all of societal life, life in which we experience, in which we live, is structured along racial power dynamics, which means that we as white people, we promote this system, we promote this structure, because we benefit from it, because we are the oppressors. Okay, That is what that teaches. And again, God's word tells us something totally different, that you know what, it's not about the color of our skin, whatever color of skin that happens to be, it happens to be, it's about the condition of our heart. The problem with, another problem that the Bible helps us understand with uh, critical race theory and the whole woke uh, belief system is, is that it uh, breaks one of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse 16, for example. It says, thou shalt not bear false witness. This is a false accusation okay, against people and against those who are uh, a white uh, color. So this is a false accusation. So it breaks that. Also, Also, it also breaks the whole idea of our rebellion against God because woke teaches and critical race theory teaches that the biggest sin and our biggest issue and our biggest problem is our, our racism, which is our sin against man. So it makes sin against man bigger deal than sin against God. So as you continue to look at this and you continue to peel back the layers, as we're going to do a little bit more tonight, uh, you see that it is not only anti-biblical and unbiblical, it's completely false. It is not what God says is our real issue. Our issue is our rebellion against God. Romans 8, 7 says this, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So our issue is on the inside, not on the outside. And so that's what the Bible tells us. The world tells us that that's not the case. But God says this is what the truth is. So I want to take... A phrase that we've all here heard and we've talked a little bit about it uh, before, but we're going to detail it more tonight. And it's this phrase: "Love is love." You hear it all the time. I, I heard it on commercials this week. You know, I uh, I heard it. I'm like, oh my goodness, love is love. And what they mean by that is that you have love is all about what I desire, and you have to affirm my desires. Okay, they redefine love and by saying that. Well, however I perceive love to be, then that is what love is for me. And you and your responsibility is to affirm that desire. And if you don't do that, then you're unloving. Then you're unloving. When you start to redefine terms, especially like the term love, when you redefine that to mean whatever you want, man, that that opens it up to the most horrific things possible. Over and against all that, God says in 1 John 4, 8, that I am love. It says, God is love, 1 John 4, 8. God is not only the source of love, he's the definition of love, okay? And that's important to understand, that we have a standard of that, of what love really is. And God tells us this, and I want us to look at that phrase through the lens of marriage and family, okay? Because that's coming under heavy, heavy, heavy attack uh, in our culture. So when God is love, that means, again, God is the source And also the definition of love. And he is also the one who tells us, because he is love, he tells us in a loving way, in the most loving way possible, what is best for us in terms of marriage and family and sex and gender. And again, we've talked about these things in the past two weeks, but I want to look at that through the lens of marriage and family. All right. God's plan for marriage is one man, one woman. There's only two genders. We talked about that. There's not ultimate genders, not, there's not trans, it's not fluid, there's two genders, one man, one woman, all right? And God's plan for marriage, one man, one woman, in a covenant marriage relationship, committed covenant relationship, that is God's plan. That's what he tells us is true, and that is what he wants. And here's the thing, that is not just important on its own, it is important because it is a reflection of a much bigger reality That God wants us to understand, and it's found right here in front of you in Ephesians chapter 5. Please follow along as I read, starting in verse 22. Going to read through verse 33. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as his own body and just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The reality of marriage that it pictures is... Jesus Christ's relationship with the church, and that is every single believer. If you're here and you're a Christian, you've invited Christ into your life, you turn from your sin, place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a part of what the Bible calls the church. Not a church, but the church, which is made up of all Christians. Right? And Jesus Christ is the head of that church. And he's saying, and uh, through the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit is telling us, God the Holy Spirit is telling us, that marriage is is a reflection of that, which helps us understand why Satan wants to blow marriage up. Because it is a reflection of something very precious and an understanding that we can get when we realize that Jesus is the head of his church. Marriage is a reflection of that kind of intimacy that we can have that kind of a relationship with Christ. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's unlike any other religion, any other belief system on the planet. And it's incredible that way, but wokeness wants to continually say, nope, not the plan. Wokeness teaches that God's created order is oppressive and actually does violence to sexual minorities. That is from Patricia Hill, Collins, excuse me, from, from Duke University. Let me say that again. Wokeness teaches that God's created order is oppressive and actually does violence to sexual minorities that's what's being communicated. So it's not only that it's not true, it is actual evil abuse. God's created order and his design for marriage. God sets things very differently. 1 Corinthians 11:3 and we heard it in Ephesians 5 says this, but I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. It's the concept of headship, all right? As God the Father is head, now follow along because this gets cool. As God the Father is head of the Son, okay, the Son is head of the church, of the man, and, and man is head of his wife. There is a headship there, and there is a fortress of protection and care and love there. That's why when you look at that, and you look at that through Ephesians 5, you see something amazing because we're seeing that men, husbands, how many of your husbands here tonight? Let me see your hands. Husbands, yeah. This is what the Bible says to you and to me. All right? It says this, that we are to love and to lead and to cherish and to nourish and protect and to sacrifice for our wife. So take a look at those two things. Women, you're called, wives, you're called to submit, which means to come up underneath that, that leadership of your man and give support, that you are to respect and to love your man. Men, husbands, we are to love, to lead, to cherish, to protect, to nourish, and to be willing to die. So you tell me, who has the bigger responsibility there? Ladies or gentlemen? Guys do, right? We have to be willing to die for our wives as Christ did, the church. That's the big deal. Here's the thing. Wokeness steals all of that. Steals all of that. All right? Wives, you should be mad about this, ladies, because it steals from you what God wants your husband to give to you. All right? And men, you should be mad about it because it steals from you the opportunity to give to your wife what God wants us to give to our wives. Again, wokeness reframes the whole conversation, it says that love is love, which means, again, there is no design. There is no God designed, God ordained order. There's only my personal path. I follow my heart. You affirm what I say is love and what I think is loving and what I need. And if you don't, you're not only unloving, you're racist. Black Lives Matter, BLM, the woke, massive woke social movement, pushes this aggressively against the family. In fact, let me give you a quote from, don't listen, don't believe me, let me give you a quote from, uh, from their website says this, quote, We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement. We don't need to even go any farther. I will in just a second. We don't need to go beyond that. It says we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear we family. Dis- we disrupt the nuclear family. They want to blow up marriages and families, husband, wife, kids. They want to blow that up. And they say it's Western prescribed. It's not. It's God prescribed. Okay? It doesn't come from the West. It comes from God. I continue. We are committed, they say, we are committed to doing the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift black trans folk, transgender. You can get, pick, your, pick your gender. They believe it's fluid. We are committed to embracing and making space for trans brothers and sisters to participate and lead. We are committed to fostering a queer affirming network. That is from the website. That is what is driving them. So when you see Black Lives Matter, that's what's going on here. When you see it on a t-shirt, you see it on you know, NBA floors, and that's, that's what is being promoted yeah. here. That's what the culture is telling us. This is what is real. This is what is true. God says something very different. And we understand that because God is love. He says, this is what is love. This is what it looks like. And this is what it is not. And here's the thing, and this is where it gets really frightening, is that their desire is to pump this at the lowest possible level in our kids. Let me give you an example. The Washington Post, in an article in March of 2021, praised different proponents of social justice. We talked about social justice and biblical justice and the difference last week. And featured a drag duo based in Toronto. Here's a quote from the article. Caleb Robertson and J.P. Kane, are performance artists. Performance artists? who have experience in early education and have been offering free drag story time in Toronto since 2016, last six years. And what's the goal of this drag queen story? That's uh, For those of you who are unfamiliar, it's guys who dress up in, in women's clothing and they, they read stories to kids. They're performance artists. Sounds great, right? In their own words. Here's their own words. We want kids to have the tools and knowledge to accept all members of our community and celebrate their differences. So if they see someone with a beard wearing a dress, they are coming from a place of acceptance and understanding. And they are doing this to three-year-olds. This is three-year-olds. This is an hour and a half from here, folks. This is an hour and a half from here in Toronto. This is what's going on. And this is not on the sidelines anymore, man. This is, this is Main Street. Uh, check this out. This headline from the Daily Wire, February 25, 2021, quote, students suspended from education program for saying a man is a man and a woman is a woman. If you stand up and you say this, a man is a man, a woman is a woman, that student got expelled from a university here in New York State. None of us are surprised by that, but it should sadden us and it should grieve us. It should make us angry because that is simply not the truth. And we could go on and on about personal pronouns and all that stuff. We'll talk some about that next week, okay? But these are the things that are happening right here and right now in our world, in our culture, in our society. And God says, this is what is true. This is not. This is what is true. So because the Bible is practical, because truth is practical and meant to be lived out, what do we do? We come to my PowerPoint board over here. These are five things that we must know, we must believe, and we must live out if we're going to contend for the faith. The first one is we have a standard. God is love. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. He is the one who sets the standard. He tells us this is what is right, this is what is wrong, this is what love is, and this is what is not. He's the one who sets that standard. If you're in conversation with someone who says, well, I don't believe in in God, then you can go about it this way. You can just have a conversation this way. Say, Well, tell me, where do you get your definition of love from? Where do you get it from and how do you know it's real? How do you know it's true? Because you're banking a lot in your life on it because everybody wants love, we're designed to have love, we seek love, we desire love, we want love, so how do you know that you're giving yourself to something that is actually the real thing and you're not being duped by that which will destroy you? How do you know that? See, and then we get to have a conversation say, well, our, con- you know, our definition of love comes from outside of myself and outside of how I feel or how I perceive, it's what God, to say, and it's designed around self-sacrifice, and you see that in John 3:16. And it's an opportunity to just share that truth. So the first thing we must know, believe, and live out is that there is a standard. There's a standard. Secondly, there is a created design. Genesis 1:27, we talked about that last week. God said, Let us create man in our own image. So male and female created He them, and He blessed them. There is one man, one woman, two genders. There is a divine order of Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, which we read, there is a divine order for relationship, for marriage, for commitment, for experience of sexual intimacy, it's within the confines of marriage. And God is the one who set that up. And since he's the author of life, he knows how it is to be lived. And because God is love, then this is the most loving thing that can happen. Because God cannot act in a way that is unloving. Because he's love. The moment he acts in a way that's unloving, he ceases to be God. Guess when that's going to happen? Never. That's good. Free candy bar to that guy. Right. Jay, you get one, man. Good job. Yes. So this is the most loving thing that can possibly happen because God is love. So when he speaks of this divine order, it's because he loves us. He's not trying to rip us off like Satan wants us to believe. Right? That's how he did at the very beginning with Eve. He gives it to us because it's true. Three. To go against God's design is to sin and to bring judgment on yourself nobody wants to talk about that but that's the reality choices carry consequences let me read the scriptures for you romans 1 26 through 27 and romans 2 5 it's all in the same context says this because of this god gave them over to shameful lusts even though women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones in the same way the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Verse 5, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant hearts, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when His righteous judgment will be revealed. There are consequences and God tells us the truth because He loves us. He wants us to know the truth. If we choose to go against His design, it is sin and there are consequences our judgment, Galatians, again, Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8, says you don't mock God, you don't make a fool out of God. What a man sows, he will reap. The one who sows to please the sinful nature will reap destruction. It is a guarantee. God wants us to know that. That's why he tells us, because he loves us. The reason I told my kid not to run around and play in the street is not because I wanted to rip them off, because I, but because I wanted to protect them, because I loved them. God loves us, and he says, I want you to know up front, what's happening and what's going to happen if you choose to do this. Four, we are called to speak truth and to avoid those who don't. The Bible is pretty clear about that. Romans, let me read Romans 16, verses 17 through 18. says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Proverbs 13, 20, He who walks with wise grows wise, but a companion of fools, a person who says, I don't need God in my life, suffers harm. Not might suffer harm, not could, will suffer harm. That's why I says, Listen, I don't want you to lock arms with folks that are running down this path. I don't want you to say, Yeah, I'm going to listen to what you have to say on a regular basis. It says, No, avoid these people. Avoid them. You draw a line in the sand and say, listen, I'm going to stay over here. You can come over here all day long, but I'm not going over there. I'm not going over there. This guy cares about me. He cares about you. So I'd love to have you come over here, but I'm not going to go over there. The Bible's pretty clear about that. And then finally, and this is the one that is a backdrop and that surrounds and holds all the other four. We speak truth and love humbly because we know that we were once lost. Titus 3 through 5 says this, at one time we too, we foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. We became born again because we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. When this is a reality in our life, we will speak these with humility in our heart. If we forget that we were once lost in a train wreck and in rebellion against God, if we forget that and he saved us not because he needed us on his team, but because he loved us and we had nothing to bring to the table but our sin and our junk and Jesus said, I want to save you because I love you because God is love. He says, I want to rescue you. When we forget that, then we become harsh, we become condemning, we can become very self-righteous. But when we remember that this is who we were, man, you you speak truth differently. You just speak it differently. When you remember, oh my gosh, I was headed to hell and Jesus saved me. Man, I want to... Remember, people people are not our enemies. Ephesians 6, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our real enemy is the prince of the power of the air, the one who is the wicked one, the evil one. We have to remember that. And so, God calls us to remember and to live within this heart posture. That's why we pray for people. Because at the end of the day, you can't change anybody's heart. Only God can. You know, you've heard me say this before, and I say this to parents all the time who are struggling with, uh, with their children, or maybe one is wayward or something like that. Now, listen, they can tune you out and shut you down, but they are helpless against your prayers because that's the truth. And we pray for people that are caught up in believing lies and living for the wrong thing. Let me close with, with a shot of hope, and it's massive. None of this that we are experiencing in our culture is new. None of it is new. All the stuff that we see and we hear and that we're like, I can't believe this is taking place right now, none of it is new. Just study past civilizations, Rome and Greece, for example, and you're going to see it is overwhelmed, flooded, with evil and with brokenness. The book of Ephesians that we read of tonight, that was written by the Apostle Paul to a church at the city of Ephesus. God says, I'm going to plant a church right there. in Ephesus, if you study it, man, it was a wicked city overflowing with sexual perversion. And God says, I'm going to put a, a church right there. Right there in the middle of all of this. We need to remember that we are not operating, we're not playing with a weak hand. We are not speaking with a weak voice we have what those christians had back there and ever we have the word of god we have the power of god we have the voice of god and that can change anything and everything that is why we have hope because second corinthians 5:17 says if anyone is in christ if anyone invites christ into your life he's a new creation old things pass away all things become new that means that our broken and our disordered lives can be healed so can anyone else. You, you go back to the first century and you ask the, the believers, hey, that guy, Saul, who's going around killing Christians, who put some of you in jail, who killed some of your family members, do you think God could save him and use him to write two-thirds of the New Testament and be one of the greatest missionaries that ever walked the planet? You ask them, they would go, what are you, nuts? But that's exactly what God did and he became Paul. That's exactly what he did. God can do that. There's hope. There's hope in the gospel. There's hope in God. And don't forget, when Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they didn't stop loving. They just started loving the wrong things. They started loving the wrong things. And the gospel can turn that all around, can set that aright. That's why with God, there is always hope. There is always hope. And that is what we contend for. Let's pray together. So Heads bowed and eyes closed just for a moment. Thank you so much for your for your kind attention. But now this is the moment where you just silently, just quietly just ask, ask God, Lord, what is it that you want me to grasp? What did you say to me tonight? What do you want me to do with what I heard? Because if you prayed and asked God to speak to you, He has. He has spoken to you. Truth is our friend. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes God, because He loves us, he puts his finger on places that are festering that we want to protect. And God says, let me heal that for you. Come to me. Let me heal that for you. So what is it that God spoke to you about tonight? What did he remind you of? What does he want you to know and to believe and to wrap your lives around? God spoke to you. Believe that. So take a moment and respond to him. To silently, again, in the sanctuary of your heart, just speak to him. Final question, if you're here and you've never invited Christ into your life, you don't know what it means to have your sins forgiven. You don't know for sure you're going to go to heaven. Can I just tell you, that is the reason why God brought you here tonight, because he wants you to know. Jesus died on the cross for you for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, wide open invitation, whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. If that's you, you say, man, I want to know relationship with Jesus. I want my sins forgiven. I want to know I'm going to heaven then just tell him. If that's you, then just tell him. I mean, his, his requirements are pretty simple. Demand nothing and surrender everything. We're dead, we need life. And he's offering to rescue you tonight. Say, Wes, that's what I want. Then, here, let me help you. Let me give you some words. Just pray this prayer, not out loud, in your heart. Mean the words as your own, because it's a, word, it's a prayer of commitment, saying, God, I'm giving everything to you. Just silently, just, if, if you want to know you're going to heaven have a relationship with Jesus, you want that, man. You want him. Then just pray this prayer silently in your heart, meaning it is your own. Just say this, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I believe you died for me, that you have eternal life to give me, a home in heaven, a relationship with you. I want that. And so right now, I turn from my sin. I repent. I don't want that anymore. I turn to you. I need you. Come into my life. Save me. I believe in you. I'm all yours. With heads about eyes closed. No one looking around. But if you just prayed that or something like that, I want to remember you in a closing prayer. Not by name, because I probably don't know you. But I want to pray for you. So if you prayed that or something like that, and you said, yes, I just, Wes, I just gave my life to Jesus. I was serious about it. With no one looking around but me, would you just raise your hand so I can see it, so I can just yep, I'm going to pray for you. Anybody like that at all? I don't want to miss anyone. So many of us in this room had a moment just like that. Anybody at all that I can pray for. Father, thank you for your truth. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in your word and in the gospel. And Lord, help us to live it out this week. Lord, help us to be reminded that you are with us. You are the power of God. You are the king of the universe and you walk with us, and you lead us. Help us to live lives that honor you, that contend for what is real and for what is right, for ourselves, for the people in our family, the people we care about, and for your glory, in your name, Jesus, amen. Amen.